0: season two we're having some fun I had um, a thoroughly enjoyable podcast for me last time I uh, had the pleasure of interviewing Sam Briggs if you haven't heard that one jump back and, uh, and hear that one um, wonderful to see another side of Sam and, um, and just find out what, a, what an amazing person she really is um, also outside of CrossFit um, and we felt that the what better way to follow up the the Sam Briggs podcast and than, than as coaches giving insight into the the way oxygen works and moves around the body and how we strategize um, training of, of the sort of different energy systems and then I'm purposely avoiding the word aerobic training because there's a skill element to it and uh, and there's also a uh, a sort of more power element to, to how oxygen is used around the body so we're going to sort of go a little bit technical at points but also give hopefully give some really good take home um, elements so you can you know add, apply it to your training and, and, and as coaches uh, get something from it
1: yeah it's going to be a fun one
0: yeah so JJ you are obviously Sam's coach um, yep. and let's start on that end of the scale um, somebody who is very very good um, at utilising oxygen, um, how important is the ability to use oxygen? Um, of course, it keeps us alive. Let's let's leave the obvious. <laughs> let's leave the obvious to one side. But Someone how? Someone would say it's essential. It, it would be essential, wouldn't it? Um, but it, uh, yeah. So understanding sort of the question yeah. is how someone's ability. How how much of a difference does it make? I mean how how much more efficient can you actually make someone with, with utilizing oxygen and is there a carryover to strength training or power training or um, in CrossFit when you're blending the concepts and components of fitness as they do in pretty much every workout we, we often talk about the, the strength benefits um, or being stronger or being sort of more powerful or being more mobile but it's, and, and I think it's almost well is there a carryover between the sort of utilization of oxygen and strength and power and, and, and what's your view on that?
1: Yeah that I there is an absolutely a huge carryover uh, for aerobic capacity and strength training, especially specific to CrossFit, um, because in, in CrossFit, obviously, the, the repeatability, the ability to repeat strength elements within workouts is, is essential. Um, so like you see with someone like Sam is yes uh, the type of athlete she is she is endurance based and therefore her kind of the haul in the game is is the strength work but actually if you put sub-maximal weights there her ability to repeat that barbell because of the aerobic capacity is 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 there for all to see um and it and it it is in those moments where she you put the bar down in a bar cycling workout her ability to take oxygen allows her to pick the bar up again yeah and and repeat repeat work whereas the all-out powerful power athlete might need twice as long yeah uh, between repetitions, yeah, and I
0: think I think essentially what what's happening, isn't it, is that, that the concepts of components in mo- of fitness, in movement, in exercise, are coexisting, uh-huh. um, and you're only as strong as your strongest, or only as weak as your weakest, and and. Looking at two, you've got that neurological fitness or that inter, intramuscular control, um, and how the the athlete coordinates and how muscle firing patterns essentially fire at right or wrong times, which coordinates movement. And of course, the more advanced that is, and the more skillful that is, the the more weight you'll lift. Um, essentially, that is strength, um, contrary to popular belief. Um, but part one of those sort of big elements is the, the aerobic side, and and we might see Sam Sam's capacity to work as as a, as, as we look analyse her files with you. You know, uh, her capacity to work at ninety five percent is 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 unmatchable. Um If you put other people at ninety five percent, now her ninety five percent might not be the same weight, yeah, but her ability to to turn the bar over, whereas somebody with a lower aerobic capacity um, would would be able to coordinate the movement better therefore use less energy Um, and ultimately it will come down to uh, ATP um, adenosine triphosphate and how how much we can produce and how quickly we can produce it the skillful athlete will requires less energy because they're skillful where Sam can produce more energy so they're on different scales but the outcome might be the same might be the same speed having that sort of skill acquisition balance against threshold how do you program for that do you do you say right you know what strength is the sort of inter intramuscular coordination neurological side of things isn't our strength so we're going to leave that alone or do you you work more on that because it isn't our strength and go right i'm going to rely on being able to work harder at 95 percent and even do even more and just sort of bang onto your strengths and how how do you balance that in the training and and and
1: Well, we've gone, we've actually gone through like big kind of experimental phases with that, knowing, knowing that it is the weakness we've, we've given it the, the due attention and isolated it out and worked on it. And actually the, the bang for the buck hasn't really paid off for us. Um, we've found that, um, she actually, the amount of times you you get Sam to just concentrate on strength or power work and yeah, she'll struggle to she might start warming up well, but as soon as she starts warming up she thing is because of that aerobic capacity, she cools down so quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you give her too long a rest, she's she's already cooling down. So her ability to turn over weight or lift maximally actually works better in EMOM scenarios or even like in in bar repeating workouts, like something where she's doing heavy barbell ten eight six four two uh, with something in a ward that's where she'll actually start to give her a two minute rest and then hit a max at the end of all that where she's super warm that's where you actually see Sam start to start to turn over
0: yeah, the, the I numbers mean, I mean uh, also in that point there you could, you, could, you could look at it from the outside and say well you've drilled the skill of the motion as well in the warm up and you've, you've made it like butter haven't you, you've melted yeah. the butter essentially um, and going back to the sort of is it skill acquisition for her um is is it because she's warm is it because she's in a, a warmer state or is it because you've drilled the skill yeah yeah um problem the
1: problem when you then look at that within training is monitoring the whole the whole process to to make sure the the intensity session to session day to day and over the week Being able to monitor that intensity then becomes quite uh that's where the the fun and games lies when you need to stimulate that response or get, get get that weight shifted but then it needs such a almost both both volume and intensity to be able to do that um that's where you then start to have to sacrifice other parts of the week or um yeah that getting the balance right becomes becomes difficult in that,
0: those scenarios. Yeah. I think that um, it, it's the golden, it's the periodization or the program design conundrum, isn't it? Um, what, what is it and what do you do? And I think, uh, is, do you have any testing protocols for it? Uh, I know I do but I'm just trying to draw information out of you here. Do you have any sort of testing protocols to find out which, which is best to use? Best to use is in <coughs> like what as in, is it because of the skill? Because it would indicate if, if it is a skill function, um, yeah. and I, think, I think we know with Sam it is a neurological thing um, anyway. But uh, is it a skill function or is it a Is it, a, a drill, is it a sort of aerobic uh, function that the aerobic system is working more efficiently, therefore everything's working more efficiently, or is it just neural inter intramuscular control? I think just to clarify what I mean by inter and intramuscular control is inter muscular control is how muscles interact with each other to coordinate motion. So you'll have a sort of sequencing or a firing pattern that, that precipitates that. When, the, when you run, for example, the calf is activated before the quads because force is coming from the floor and they sort of they don't all fire at the same time. They have this sort of wave or sequence where the intramuscular is what's happening inside the muscle itself. Um, and, and on the aerobic side of things, the ability to produce oxygen uh, is an intramuscular skill. Um, and it, not produce oxygen, sorry, have oxygen, produce ATP and how you utilize oxygen um, and how I coordinate my muscles relative to each other, or what's happening inside the muscle, are two very different things. They coexist and they work together, but they are co- they are different. They are different things. Um, and having more efficiency in the muscle allows me then to be able to coordinate the intermuscular uh, coordination uh, and fire at the right times. And that's what you'll see with stiffness, for example, or you'll see with flexibility that that sequencing is off. The, the sequence of a muscle. So just this very crude example, but just not even talking about muscle, just about the leg. Um, the calf fires a little bit early or a little bit late and that puts stress and moves that force or that torque to another part of the body. Um, so uh, you use your biomechanical assessment, but at the same yeah. time you do 400 meter <laughs> rollout out rows or runs or sprints or jumps yep. or whatever it is. So how do you, of course you do both, but how do you determine, how do you test those different elements? Relative to olympic weightlifting Rel- yeah relative to to strength and using using to purely to get stronger um, testing
1: across the different thresholds within within lifting as well, so testing yeah, obviously you've got your one rep max and then working down from there and and seeing percentages of that one rep max where where the repetitions lie, of course, um, but then even moving into like time domains, so actually time domains of the barbell cycling. Uh, be that olympic lifting be that um, strength training so how many repetitions can you turn out in a in a time period rather than rather than just yeah uh hit five what's your heavy five it's
0: like no how how many can you hit at said weight for one minute yeah for three minutes for Uh, and into the sort of muscular control you're talking about is also the the skill element isn't it is the the what the the coach would look at the weightlifting coach or the strength coach would look at how you know where's the bar yeah you know essentially where the bar is um, I, I often think it's quite entertaining to, to watch coaches sh- screaming oh get the bar closer or finish the pull or oh, the classic one is we didn't finish the pull and they sort of consciously ask the athlete to finish the pull um when it's usually a restriction or it's not possible for them to do it yeah. and shouting at them isn't really helping because they've been doing it for the last three years
1: i mean is it just just on that whilst we're talking about the pull um it's the problem with the word pull as well isn't there yeah because actually it's by giving someone that cue of pull this is why i find people end up using their arms yeah When really we should be using the hips, but you've said pull so subconsciously the brain picks up the word pull, and then you see early arm bends, and then we wonder why we're getting an early arm bend, well you, you said pull um, that's, that's just my it's a personal experience of the language that you use needs to, be, needs to be very carefully thought of from person to person, because, especially with beginners um, because yeah, they will start to Start to do something that we actually don't want them to do. Yeah, uh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. So, so there's a classic example of it's an intermuscular uh, issue, isn't it? It's a, it's a technique issue, issue. Yeah. Um, and I think we're moving away from what how we started to talk about oxygen. We're on a bit of a tangent, but I think we should just keep going because I think it's relevant information. Um, we we coaching strategies. Um, you 're almost sort of banging your head against a brick wall, um, and a lot of the time when we 'll talk about communication um, and i 'll often say that if you don 't understand me and you don 't understand the cue or anything i 'm giving you it 's not it 's not you that 's stupid it 's my communication strategy that 's stupid so if we are as coaches re- finding ourselves repeating the same cues over and over and over, we need to do something different now they work sometimes of course there are some you you, you just say do this with your head, do this with your arm. They do it and that's it for life and it works. But there's a if you find you're cueing the same thing over and over and over again, it's your communication strategy as a coach, which is faulty and it's not the athlete. Uh, and it, it should always be the coach who takes responsibility to that, find another way to do it. So going down that road of skill acquisition and trying to, trying to teach skill within movements without necessarily banging the head against the wall and just sort of over-coaching and over-repeating... Um, how do you how do you manage that process um, with technical things like lift, like Olympic weightlifting?
1: Uh, mainly with the um, it's all about the biomechanical assessment, really, um, because like on that inter and intramuscular coordination that we've been talking about, we. Consciously, we are unable to coordinate those movement patterns. Like our brain isn't smart enough. Yeah. And at the same time, how do we know the timing's right? Yeah. Like saying squeeze your glutes in the bottom of the squat. How do you know you've chosen the right time? Um, and what's it actually doing?
0: Almost as stupid as internal and external talk, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Almost as stupid, not quite as stupid as that, but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it is all about that the biomechanical assessment because then we can start to retrain the hip or the left leg to become more uh, to contribute better to the movement, for example. Um, if you see a, see a sway, I mean, with, with Sam, for example, because we're, we're talking about her, she, she there was a time with all the all the work with uh, previous shoulder surgery, um, we got to a point where the what was happening was um, there was a sequencing issue from left to right um, during the pull phase of the of the snatch, um, as in finishing finishing the the high pull. So actually, then it would affect her turnover. Um, but actually, what it was also doing it was kind of creating a a lateral. Uh, translation of the bar so actually the bar was drifting it was drifting out to the right which was actually causing Sam to then take a step with her right leg out to the side and that was actually all coming from it was all coming from the uh, the direction of where the bar was going from the, the discrepancy between the shoulders so that, that it, those are those huge things that regardless of like what we were saying there about what you said about coaches having to communicate question our own communication skills if the athlete's not getting it just not understanding and not able to execute yes we as coaches one option is are we explaining it right of course yeah we've got to question ourselves but then the other side of it is is there something wrong with the athlete's intramuscular coordination that means that no matter what you do their body the body moves towards a path of least resistance and it will just do what it's good at best and you're going to keep saying that cue and the body's just going to do what it does and, and that's where we have to bring the biomechanical assessment in
0: to correct that process yeah. and, and I'd just like to clarify um, for the listeners what we're not saying is get away with the, the skills coach uh, the guys we, you know we're lucky enough to work with some wonderful Olympic weightlifting coaches that see things we don't see um, and their feedback is invaluable so what, what, what I just want to be clear to the, to, to the listeners is what we're not saying is drop the coach uh, the, the technical yeah, coach sure. and just do a biomechanical assessment there still is a huge place for queuing coaching teaching them to do proper things with a bar have the bar in the right place at the right times and feel it that's just to clarify that point it's just our expertise doesn't lie in that area our expertise is on this side which is why we're going down that path now um, so to go back to your to go back to your example there bud of the the left side or the right side doing more or doing less is quite often we'll see people take a step forward on the left or the right after a, after a, a clean or a snatch yeah. or whatever you'll see just like a one, the right leg will go forward and what we're actually finding and interestingly enough is that one side is moving slightly quicker than the other side yeah. and that is again that sequencing that intermuscular sequencing that is saying one leg is actually producing more power one leg is potentially producing less power whichever way Round you want to look at, it. you probably wouldn't criticize the leg producing more power, you try and get the other leg to catch up. But and the leg you step forward with is probably the good leg, and the, le- the other leg or the, the leg that's not with it is probably the one you want to work on and have a look at and, and focus on, as, as just, a, just a take home for you guys listening. Um, and then having that, uh, ultimately, what you're seeing is that the right leg's moving faster, and that's that sequencing uh, that needs, needs working on. How common is that, and and should coaches and uh, people listening and everybody films their own everyone's filming their lift and everyone's filming their what they're doing and they're seeing a bar to the left or they're seeing a bar to the right or they're seeing the one is a drop what we call a sort of a drop that the bar is on a squat is down to the left essentially what they're seeing there is is a miscommunication in left to right forward to back up to down uh, and, and that intermuscular uh, coordination the guys looking at home and looking at their own videos can they can they do something about that or do they need do they need to come and see one of the red pill coaches for example or, or, or um, don't call you a movement specialist but a movement specialist yeah um, um,
1: yeah but they, they really do need that kind of outside influence in and in a different set of eyes so I say the weather the skills coaches are good the, that is their expertise they, they don't look at the, the body that they will make changes uh very good changes to the technique to to kind of work around those problems but the problem is when you work around the problems you're kind of running out of options um and, and what we what we want to do and what we can do with the the skills work is oh, sorry, with the the biomechanical assessment is give that person as many movement options as possible because yeah especially in the sport of crossfit i mean Olympic weightlifting, you do one rep and the idea is that one rep is perfect time on time, but in the sport of CrossFit that repetition that fatigue amount, there is going to be reps that you step forward and catch and, and do everything whilst you are physically, because you are racing because you're, you're physically racing your Olympic lift, you've not got the two minutes to stare at the barbell and prepare, prepare yourself for the, the perfect lift, so having the biomechanical ability to adapt to different foot positions um, will allow uh, you to have catch in those different positions
0: and have no issue. Um, be able to cope with it is is key yeah right. i think that's uh that, that's, that so there is the blend they can do something they, they can recognize it they can see that left leg's hopping forward or I'm I'm bars to, down to the left or down to the right and and, and essentially the answer is like in some in, in some corrective exercise and programming so so let's just step forward now on this this path we are still talking about uh, aerobic and oxygen yeah. um, and i know the listeners at home are thinking is this this is the wrong title of this podcast for, for what yeah. we're talking about. We, we, we are getting there uh, and it's coming um, because now we've got to talk about how many and how much uh, and now we've, we, we've sort of covered intensity and intensity is how much I do <clears throat> once. I think people think running 400 meters as fast as you possibly can and dying at the end has an intensity to it. It's not that intense. You know, the most powerful movements in the world are the golf swing, uh, cricket bowling, um, baseball pitch, snatch. These are the these are the the, the what we call imp- 100% intensity almost, yeah. um, and that's misunderstood massively. And in those 100% intensity lifts or sports or, or whatever, yeah. the intermuscular coordination is crucial because if that's off by a millimeter. You've only got one second to get this right. On a, on a more volume-based sport or a sport that has repetition and more and more, you can get it right in the next rep or the next rep or you can catch up. Here, you don't get it right, don't get it right, you're gone, which is, which is our, the coach's fascination and why people love these sports because it's such a skill element to it and, and how the, the, the athlete coordinates muscle on muscle on muscle through the body is the fascination with it. So when we require that finite perfect intermuscular control throughout the whole body especially in something that's using both legs and arms four limbs working simultaneously through a through a middle section how easy oh i know the answer but i know, i would like you to, 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 to for the listeners to let them know how easy is it for that to go wrong and then do you want to repeat that so how quickly do you detrain or can you make better the bad pattern Sorry, so what, you, what you're asking is
1: by by making mistakes in training subconscious mistakes subconscious mistakes so bad movement patterns
0: those a bad rep how, how quickly does that become yeah, ingrained well, the, the repeatability of it yeah. um, because you know I think we're, we're always making something better there's always an improvement of something now that something might be bad. That might something might be something that is bad. That something might be something. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, could be negative. So yeah. so I'm lifting. Let's use the step forward. I've got a right leg that's lifting and coming as being a little bit quicker. And and you and actually you measure it. You can measure it in uh, electrical uh, electrical studies. You can see there's a greater peak from the right to the left, and you see the speed um, and it's measurable. So. I'm making that better yeah. and I'm kidding myself if I think I'm not, that I'm only making improvements in training. I'm improving something and if that's bad, I'm getting better at being bad. So how cold do you have to be as a coach to say, you're not going to do more than one of them or you are only going, and that's essentially why we would do from hang. So you're not allowed to do a full clean or a full snatch, or you would only do a pull, um, or you'd only do a quarter of it, or you'll drill a a very small element of it. The reason we do that is to try to get perfect technique and try to get exactly the right reaction we want. The art and the skill of coaching for me is how do we then build that out and grow that out? Because one rep badly trains one rep badly. For every one good rep I do, and I do every one bad rep, they equal themselves. I'm giving a different message. So I'm essentially trying to speak, teach people to speak French by speaking Spanish to them. Um, you get the concept of languages, but you don't learn the language you're trying to trying to do. So, so, so the question is is how hard is that process? How controlled was that process? Do you can you do it alone? In, in, in for the for guys going, oh that's great, Phil, yeah, wonderful. What do I do now? Uh, what what do, the, what do you do in a, as a coach in the box, or what do you do as an athlete? How do you? perfect that process uh, can you do it or do you need a coach you, you do need you need
1: some help that's for sure yeah um, if you can be disciplined enough and you can record every rep um, and, and you have very good knowledge of, of the lift then you can self correct go for it but the skills coach is where you need to be. Uh, you need that help and guidance um, to to get that right and, and know that it's that it's been done there. And I think that's is a big thing that's missed within CrossFit. Is is the Olympic lifting exposure and the repetition. The, they forget how many repetitions that an Olympic lifter has done just with a barbell. Yeah, like purely with a barbell. It's almost it can be a race to. Race to put weight on the bar, whereas you go to any Olympic lifting coach, and yeah, you'll do hundreds of repetitions. Yeah. The due diligence that with, it requires, it, yeah, yeah. that the, that accuracy. Um, so yeah, it's and yeah, if you're doing those hundred, the more repetitions you do, like you said, do one one bad one, one good one, they balance each other out. But if you've done a hundred in a session, like that's very quickly. Uh, well, it's either a
0: path to success um, or, yeah, uh, just ingraining failure. So, so let, let's be honest. Let's say it as it is, yeah. you go to a wonderful weightlifting coach who gives you some fantastic drills. Um, you go to a, a, a movement coach or somebody who gives you a correction program, and you go to you go in in the morning and you do forty-five minutes with a bar. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not crying. Um, 45 minutes with the bar, um, working on everything sort of you've been given by the coach, and then you do your movement work or vice versa, whichever way around, and you, you're actually moving really well and you're really pleased with the bar. And because you haven't had the heart rate up and you haven't involved oxygen in it today, you then go and do a workout because we want to drain, which is fair enough. And then you go and do, I don't know, Amanda or. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, well, cycling yeah, out, yeah you just go and go right let 's have it um, yeah. Is that stupidity? I mean honestly, just saying it is, is, is that I mean my opinion is it's, yeah. it's not a good idea. Um, you just are you undoing all your work don 't know if you'd be undoing all your work, but I think what you're probably be doing is slowing your good work down yes, so I think the take home point is the patience of doing the skill work and not allowing the threshold or the aerobic side of it to come into it until you're ready. The question then becomes, when am I ready and do I, does that mean I'm never going to train again until it looks like the best in the world? At what point do you go, that's acceptable, let's go train again?
1: You're obviously not stopping training though. So... It's just removing that skill like I said, treating it as a skill based progression versus uh, threshold based testing so we can test we can work threshold in many different ways we don't need to do threshold with a barbell um, we just know that if we get that skill right then it will and have some threshold
0: work in different so can you in- just just for listeners at home threshold work we just we just Give some examples, so, so you've got your, your client, client A, and yeah. you've spotted some inefficiencies in their in their Olympic lifting, and they're working on the drills and the skills in their body, and you don't want them to to, to, to train bad patterns, and so they've, they've bought in, but yeah. you still want to keep them with a, a certain level of fitness, and so yeah. you, you mentioned they do some threshold work. Can you just give us like two or three examples of what you mean by a threshold work? Threshold work, I mean, depending on how
1: much you are removing from the training, in in essence of skill, if that squat needs to be corrected um, within the Olympic lift as a a skill, then you might even just rewind them all the way to just simple threshold work on a bike, running, swimming, um, just that straight up old school cardiovascular training to to develop the heart and lungs there without creating the the bad the bad movement patterns within that um and that would then where the threshold would be based off the the time the means that you'd seen that they, they struggled was it anything above 10 minutes was it sub 10 minutes was it even longer where where do they where do they struggle I mean going back to the skill based off of the inter intramuscular coordination how does that carry over into threshold work like if you have a body that has poor skill development hips that don't work properly let's say you are using like you're the person that does a squat does a squat session and you come out and the next day your hip flexors and your quads are killing you Uh, they're the things that are talking to you giving you the the feedback of fatigue then we know that we're working inefficiently there so we add we always use that analogy of we've got four people lifting a table at that moment in time when you're squatting you've got two people lifting a table whereas if we can change the biomechanics and bring the other two people to help out on lifting that table or the other two muscles now we are going to see changes in your ability to Carry out work because now four people will carry that table for longer yeah. than than two people. So that's where skill and skill helps to develop threshold because now we are a more efficiently moving uh,
0: machine. athlete machine. Really? Yeah, and um, so therefore that is able to carry out more work. And and I would I mean the continuum for me would always be skill threshold, and then look at doing threshold then skill then looking at blending them so I think where people go wrong having given the example of uh, earlier of Sam who lifts better when she's had a bit of threshold first that's a sort of quite unique thing we'll 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 talk about that again uh, later on Um, but but typically you would right let's drill the skill because the second you put fatigue into a body I mean even just sleep the skill isn't as good if you haven't slept as soon as there's any kind of fatigue in the body, you've done any kind of threshold work prior to the skill, you will have a, a potentially a negative effect on the skill. So we'd always go drill the skill, get the skill good, work on threshold on its own, away from it, as you've said, and go into the, the in, intramuscular, going in. and oh, We've talked a lot about intermuscular coordination, now talking about inside the muscle, the individual muscle, or the culprit, as we, we could potentially call it, or the culprits. Having the having that's working more efficiently, um, having the, 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 the having the muscle tensile, having it flexible enough, having it mobile enough, having enough oxygen uptake, being able to chemically um, produce, having neurotransmitters that that. That are in abundance and having a sort of a neural network laid down within that within that muscle, um, then aids. The, that's the person. That's how we're encouraging that person to work. If you like, you, you gave the analogy of four people lifting the table, only two doing the work. How do we get the other two to do the work? Well, essentially, we need to speak to the muscle. And how we speak to the muscle is. We make it either more flexible. We make it stronger. We make it stay more stable. We we increase the oxygen demand. We we, we make it better at producing ATP. And if you're better at producing ATP, um, you will at the same time have a lower demand for neurological feed. The Acetylcholine will be will work better. You'll have a better way of of, of connecting the dots. If you like, I, I always like to say that the neurological network is a sort of connecting the dots. <clears throat> and so. And so here's how the two meet now, the inter and intramuscular uh, skills. They meet there at the junction between ATP um, and oxygen. Um, And of course, what we're trying to do is trying to find that culprit and then encourage that culprit to work better as an inter uh, part of the chain, uh, intramuscular. So therefore, working on the threshold on its own is working on the integrity of the muscle. It's, It's helping the muscle be a better muscle. It's one element. The oxygen uptake is one element that we've mentioned. On the other side is the skill. When you flip that over and you go into a skill session tired, it works against you. It works the other way in that we've had an an ATP demand. We've had a a neurological demand and we've, we've got fatigue, which then will reduce skill. So what we need to do is take the, make the decision as a coach or as an athlete, if we're looking after our own program, is at what point do I say, I've got the skill enough now that I can put it under a little bit of fatigue and gradually see how it works under fatigue. So we'd go skill to threshold, threshold to skill, skill and threshold together as a sort of continuum of development for skill, bearing in mind that the skill missing might be the ability to uptake oxygen. And that's then the point of when do we start doing our oxygen-based training?
1: I think, well, yeah, when and how has well been the uh, been the big one, like I say, that ability to go, well, developing it without giving ourselves undoing the the good work. But then at the right time, especially in the in the competitive world, is. Is the decision of when do I accept that this is as good as it's going to get right now? Um, and now we actually need to work on threshold. Yeah, and because, that, because you we've got plan competition
0: that doesn't it. Yeah, exactly. Essentially,
1: um, like ideal world, we could just drill that skill to, to complete perfection. But yeah, the competition comes around. We've got to have that.
0: Yeah. Uh, the ability to to execute. It's quite hard, pressure. isn't it, as a coach, just sort of talking personally. It's quite hard as a coach to know you're undoing some of your good work because you're going to a competition phase. Yeah, it's quite a tough thing, isn't it? And yeah, and, to uh, take that step yeah, back. Yeah, and I think the smart the smart money is where you know we'll often say to say that this competition we're going to at this point is when we say that we're not we're not going to win it. it one, this is one of the biggest reasons you can you can sort of, as a coach say what well, this isn't about winning. This is about we have another skill we're missing, and that's the ability to compete. Uh, that's a huge part of sport. And seeing athletes under pressure and performing is a huge element. is just as much a, a part of it as their technique in a lift or something. And so there you would say, right, well, we're not gonna sacrifice our thresholds. We're not gonna work on that stuff because we, we're working on other things, but we're still gonna then go and train the element of competition. And that's quite a hard balance to get right as a coach, I think, uh, and quite an enjoyable element of, of coaching, I think. Um, So we've sort of gone through the spectrum of how skill threshold meets and how oxygen and the two meet and we're either trying to develop a skill or we're trying to uh, make the muscle more efficient inside the chain. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the easy exercises are the aerobic exercises. You know, I know it sounds strange. Nobody ever says it, but there's a reason that running is running and rowing is rowing and biking is biking and it's so easy is because we can't have a high skill element there because as soon as the skill element goes up, it's too hard and that's when you feel breathing and I know it's very very obvious but it's not often that you think about it in that way yeah well I mean it's also we need that simple
1: nature of the skill don't we because yes we all know what it feels like to do a barbell cycling workout and how high the heart rate goes, how quickly which is why CrossFitters get so fit. Yeah. They get that threshold carryover from doing barbell cycling. Exactly. But the problem being that we soon see, as soon as that threshold goes up, you then see the skill breakdown.
0: Yeah. Which is when which is when the CrossFit haters pop up and bash and come in and and have their opinion which would be best kept to themselves to be honest but yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. it's it's just a skill under pressure I mean you see it in all sport you see a footballer makes a a break down the field he's he's run past every player and by the time he gets to the end of the pitch like he's now he's run out of edgy and running out of energy he's done all that good work and then he scuffs the ball and just gives the goalkeeper a back pass
0: practically I have a good example of that actually a friend of mine um, has a, a Vets old boys uh, football team and I did the sort of uh, yeah if you're ever short you know give us a shout and uh, I'll come and I'll come and play for you um, and I'm a sort of old fashioned centre back he's sort of uh the Gary Pallister type, um, and um, but in an old boys, I wouldn't call, I never consider myself fit, but I was the fittest by far on the field, so I got put on the right wing, which is way out of my comfort zone. So. And skill level. And skill level, both threshold and skill, yeah. But well, the threshold was great because I was fitting everyone and I was running up and down the right wing like a you know like I was 15. I was absolutely time of my life, it was really, really good fun. And there was a couple of boys that played in the centre of the park who who could play the game. You know, they couldn't run anymore, but 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 they knew which end of the which end of the ball to hold. Um and uh I'm sort of making these darts down the right wing and they sort of went, oh great, someone who can run. And so I've gone flying down the right wing and you know, skinned my the right back because he was an old boy of, sort of 50, 55 or something, and the centre midfielder has put one over the top, and I'm on it, and I'm, I'm thinking, in my head I could see it, in my head I visualised it perfectly. It was right-footed, swing into the box, straight on the striker's head, bang, top corner, one 0 You know, top work, John. And um, I'm flying down the ring and I've got these, these visions in my head. I mean, you can psychologically analyse about outcome goals and performance goals and everything else like that, but I'm flying down the right wing thinking, yes, you know, what, what a feeling. And I know the guy who's played the ball thinking, wow, fantastic we've got, we've got someone who can run, you know. And I get to the one, I think your listeners already know where this is headed. Um, it's headed out for a, out for a goal kick. Um, and uh, <laughs> I've sort of, I've just literally arrived at the ball again with this vision and I was absolutely breathing and heavy and I could feel my legs were burning but but in the warm up I've been hitting some crosses and I was you know perfect because I was just walking and hitting the ball and here I just tried to kick the ball bang it went it, it wasn't even mildly embarrassing um, it was shocking the, the ball sort of almost it, it didn't go anywhere near the goal it just went straight out and, and it, it, I remember thinking after that happened for the third time um, <laughs> The, they stopped passing the ball they stopped you? passing the ball <laughs> so, so, so essentially the play never got over to the right side and I spent the whole day running up and down there without getting past the ball and after, after about 50 minutes I cottoned on that okay they've stopped giving me the ball now because because my skill is so so bad and what was interesting I, being the sort of personality type that I am that week I was like right I'm going to go over the field because this can't be right I took the, the bag of footballs, went over the field and, and started just hitting crosses on my own fine. everyone was perfect yeah. you know spot on straight into the middle bang then I decided, right, I'm going to sprint and do it. Same result. And just having just how, how just even in that example, how quickly skill just yeah. drops and disappears. And and that is the, the tough part of CrossFit. It's very, very tough to get that right as both an athlete, as a coach, because you, the second you put something under pressure, you do compromise the skill greatly. Yeah, for
1: sure. Um... And Which is going back to where we a little bit of a tangent, but very very relevant there, um, which is why we do the simple movements, like i said we we stay with the the cycling, the assault yeah. bikes, the skiers, yeah. the rowers to develop that aerobic threshold work yeah. because it's simple, the skill level is so low,
0: yeah. so we're then not compromising. Yeah, and, and so, so to the point of the podcast, you know, we've been talking for 42 minutes now, um, and we're at, at the crux of it, we're at the point, hopefully we've, we've explained why we've taken this long to get here, but the crux of it is, is aerobic conditioning is easy, breathe, <laughs> you know, yeah. create a reaction, we got less oxygen, because we're doing something, the body requires more oxygen. Oxygen, like it's over it's over-talked and overhyped. Um, it, it is that easy. Um, we know lactate isn't the enemy. Um, and we know we'll do, we, we've got another podcast where we're going to talk more about what's burning in the muscles. We know it's not lactate. Lactate is actually a fuel source. Um, we're going to do that another time. So the crux of it ultimately is your skill must drive your aerobic conditioning. The what the muscle is missing must be the determining factor in how you're using aerobic conditioning within CrossFit. Two minutes on one minute off on a bike, you know my daughter's 10 years old, she can write that you know, there is is more of a science to it but it's not that difficult the great coaches or the great athletes out there listening are, find out why, what breaks down is it the example we used at the start that the right leg's moving faster than the left or the bars drops is it the left ql it can just as well be oxygen uptake within a muscle isn't good enough chemical balance isn't good enough within a muscle that's how we should be targeting our aerobic conditioning for athletes we should be basing it around what skills they can't do because you can you can take a skill they're good at and put it under pressure how is that possible why doesn't a skill that they're good at, that has intermuscular control, why isn't it that, that, why is it that that doesn't break down for the same athlete? And it's because that's the. That's, there's something missing within the muscle there um, and targeting our aerobic conditioning around weaknesses and having muscles work in the intramuscular understanding and the chemistry and there's some, some wonderful uh, sports scientists who, do, who know a lot more about it than I do um, those guys are producing some wonderful work on skill acquisition and having the neurological control that's what should be driving our aerobic conditioning not just it feels so fun to do two minutes on one minute off and just making something up whether you go In zone two, I'm asked very often, do I stay in zone two and I just do this long LSD-type exercise, or should I go 20 seconds all out and rest? And there's no answer to that question. That's that's a misunderstanding. Conceptualising it left or right is 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 a misunderstanding of what we're going for. What you're ultimately going for is can you produce that skill under that threshold? And if you can't, that's what you should be training, and that will precipitate your exercise. So if you have a problem with longer workouts. You need to be doing that. You need to be training that skill. It's not. There is carryover between doing 40 seconds all out and being able to ride for an hour. There is carryover, but it's not the same. And and it's yeah. it's it's conceptualizing something that should never be conceptualized. For sure, because
1: I mean, look at go back to the simplicity of of running. Like you, you've obviously analysed my running over the time, and I'm. I'm naturally a, a faster, a faster runner than I am a long-distance runner. That's for sure. But I decided I wanted to run a marathon a couple of years back, and uh, we we worked through that together. But for sure you you've you commented on my running style and it's such a nice kind of what you call it a bouncy sprinters a, a sprinters run style, a, a have, sprinters yeah, run style yeah. but that soon when put under a threshold of anything over about 10-12 minutes now it starts to look it's inefficient it's inefficient it's inefficient it for that time it's a lot of energy yeah and it breaks down yeah even though it's the simplicity side of it so yeah. doing the the short stuff doesn't help me to maintain the longer stuff Uh, yes you can get aerobic crossover and benefit by doing some shorter stuff but even then we've got to look at that skill element like we've talked about and go well can I hold doesn't matter whether you've increased the aerobic capacity in the shorter stuff to carry for longer stuff can you hold the skill
0: yeah absolutely
1: for the the threshold as
0: well exactly and that's that's ultimately where we, we need to focus it yeah good um that was really enjoyable um i hope the guys listening have had as much fun as i have um it was really enjoyable nice really nice conversation I uh, appreciate it joust yeah pleasure um, always fun chatting it is, isn't it uh, we should do more of these sort of conversational style podcasts it's quite feels quite nice um I do feel like we're missing an arm though Gemma. she just she balances the force She's, she does break up our Explanation. we get a bit serious don't we mate we do get serious and we can go on yeah yeah I mean, Gemma's quite good at just going you've been talking for a while now Jouse or Phil um, yeah let's, let's break you up a little bit she sort of she is the balance isn't she she is yeah okay um, thanks for joining us guys pleasure and um, next week we are talking about coaching and coaching styles um, it's going to be quite interesting and um, communication Um, touching on a little bit of uh, interaction with athletes as well Uh, have a great week and um, train hard bye bye
1: do you require personalised programming we have our team of Red Pill coaches available to help you with your performance needs regardless of your competitive level please get in touch at redpilltraining.com